Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week I'm really happy to present this this interview for you guys because I love this band and I love this man. This is Patrick Fitzgerald. He was the front man for Kitchens of Distinction. Now, if you don't remember them or weren't paying attention, they were one of the one of the really great shoegazer bands of the late 80s, early 90s coming out of Britain. Um, you know, My Bloody Valentine, that kind of stuff. So they put out four albums between 89 and 94. The first and the fourth album are both good, but the second and the third albums, Strange Free World and Death of Cool, are both great. I, I like them all, but I especially like those two. Uh, in fact, the song you're listening to right here is called Drive That Fast. It's probably their signature tune. And uh, those of you who like to give me a hard time for having a lot of all-time favorite whatever, get ready. This is my number five all-time favorite song. I love this track. I hope that the fact that I back it this that statement up with a little bit of facts and data like this drives the point home that when I say that, I really, really, really mean it. In fact, we kick it off talking about this song. So the band breaks up in the mid-90s, but he doesn't really ever leave music. He leaves it as a profession, but he's continued to make music for years. Uh, he had a band called Fruit. He had a band called Lost Girls. The last few years, he had a band called Oscar's Drum. He often puts out solo material under the name Stephen Hero. And uh, we talk about all of this stuff. So if, <laughs> if you want to look him up, get on Facebook and start typing up Kitchen to Distinction. Oscar's Drum, Stephen Hero. Follow all that stuff because it's all good. In fact, Stephen Hero uh, has a new solo album coming out later this year, this fall. Uh, he and I talk about it in here. Well, I thought it'd be really fascinating to get to know Patrick. Um, he is now a doctor and we talk all about that. We talk about what it was like being an openly gay rock star at that time, who his cohorts were, who his influences were, uh, who had his back at that time. That couldn't have been easy. And we also spend a lot of time talking about things that aren't music, or at least not related to his band's music. Um, in fact, it's, it gets a little surreal. We did this interview about a week before Mark Hollis of Talk Talk died. And at the end of this conversation, he and I talk about our, you know, our mutual love for that band. Who would have guessed that a few days later, Mark Hollis would be gone? So surreal to listen back to this now. I've had this interview for a while, unfortunately. I wanted to put it out months ago. He and I did an interview in December that was great. And uh, once again, I went back a few weeks later to get it ready to put out, and the audio was messed up. It only recorded his side of the conversation. That's happened a couple other times. Thankfully, it has not happened since then. And when I told him, he was kind enough to agree to talk to me again. I'm so grateful. So I've been wanting to present this to you guys for, for months. And we did our best to sort of recapture the magic of that first time. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this this conversation, and I really hope that you go back and look into Kitchens of Distinction's music because it's great. Oh, I should mention, they've also put out sort of a reunion album a few years ago called Folly. It was a bit of a non-starter. It's also good, but it didn't quite take off or become the project that it should have been. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Patrick could not be lovelier. Such a good guy. Uh, he lives in England, and... I'm blanking on where it is. I'm sorry. Maybe he says it in here. Anyway, enjoy. Um, you know, it's funny because um, one of the main sources I used to sort of do some research on you was an article in The Quietus, that oh, British yeah. music publication. And Wyndham. it's from, Yes, and it came out when Folly 
came out. And uh, and what's interesting is the guy who wrote that article says in it that you guys did this great interview, and then the recording of that interview got messed it's up somehow. <laughs> we are jinxed. There you are. are. <laughs> we are just jinxed. That was, oh. That's exactly it. And I remember reading that when it, to get ready to talk to you the first time and thinking, oh, that poor guy. There's nothing worse. <laughs> and then sure enough, the exact same thing happens to me. It's just... Yeah, so I, oh. but that was different because I, I actually got, you know, had to go down to London, take the day off work, go and meet him and do this interview with Julian. Oh, and uh, yeah, nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. So it ended up being a phone call because oh. he lived in Berlin. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, uh, I, hopefully we, we got this fixed this time. Anyway, okay. As Fire with last, away. yes. Now, as with last time, I wanted to start off talking a little bit about "Drive That Fast" because it's one of my okay. favorite songs ever. And uh, we recently, you don't know this, but we do sort of we'll put out Q and A sort of episodes once in a while. And one okay. of my listeners asked me recently, um, "What if I had my favorite all-time favorite songs and albums documented somewhere?" And I don't. And I thought and I said, you know, I don't. But off the top of my head and I rambled off my top 10 favorite songs and drive that fast, I think is number five all time. Yes. That's amazing. And after I put that out there, I heard from a few of our listeners who was like, thank you for the shout out for Kitchens of Distinction. I love those guys. Yeah. So I just wanted you to know it got a favorable response. Um, There you go. There you go. Now tell us about writing and recording drive that fast writing and recording drive that fast um oh god I, do you know i wish i had a memory of <laughs> these things um so the in a dry way the music was written by julian this is what i'm re- trying to remember so he wrote all the music baseline everything showed me what he wanted playing on the bass i learned it and there was this music so we had this music and then i wrote a lyric and uh singing mm-hmm. to to it um and it was originally called Sedition, hmm. um, and it was a fairly aggressive political song. And Dan and Julian just said, no, <laughs> hmm. we don't like that. Mm-hmm. So I was furious. I was like, how dare you tell me what to write? <laughs> um, so I went away and wrote this instead, uh, which was, I guess, trying to say to them, um, this is how it feels from my point of view. Um because they, yeah, I felt mm. much more in the limelight than they were because I was the singer. Sure, sure, okay. So I, I and, but also it's quite a vague lyric for me because I'm usually quite pointed, and this one isn't. It's a vague lyric about just not being oh, quite belonging, I suppose. Really? I think. What do you? Well, I'm not going to dictate on this. What do you feel it's about? Yeah, I, I've always, first and foremost, I'm just not very smart. And so when I listen to, <laughs> when I, when, and I'm, and I'm not very good at lyrics because I, I tend to. Oh, well, that's good. I'm so know, glad. Me neither. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I lean more toward the feel or the emotion or the vibe yeah. of a song than the lyrics usually. Yeah. And uh, half the time I don't understand what they're going on about anyway. And no, so that's I one of those really things know. where I just, it sounds like I'm, drive that fast. It sounds like people wanting to get away. Something's it's bad exactly and they that. want to escape. I guess. Yeah. So I guess that's the kind of person I am. I want to rush into things. And uh, if people don't want to come along with me, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recorded it with Hugh Jones in mm-hmm. Chipping Norton Studios, which I think have closed down now mm. um, when we were doing Strange Free World. And 
we had a bunch of songs of which it wasn't apparent that that was the main one at mm. all at the time of recording. Um, what, what I do remember from the sessions is that was the point where Julian was starting to layer and layer and layer guitars mm -hmm. over and over again and getting these really thick, rich sounds. Yeah. Mm. And okay. it was the first time we'd worked with a producer as well. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it was a really good experience. It was my, probably my favorite recording experience ever. Actually. Really? So when yeah. you're when you're putting Strange Free World together, are you, you're yeah. not thinking to yourselves, oh, we've got the pearl Drive that fast is going to be the the diamond in this thing, or is it just well, one of ten Julian songs? Julian did. Julian oh, okay. absolutely was convinced of it. I thought it was probably quick as rainbows. Mm -hmm. I wrote that one. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Um, and I think we both, all three of us, actually really liked a song called Polaroids mm, and felt that that was a real move forward for us writing-wise because it was quite unusual. Live in particular, it was very aggressive and really harsh and fun to play. Mm. But Drive That Fast was always Julian's, this is the one, this yeah. is the one. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't quite get that, but mm. I was wrong. Oh. Um, yeah, but when, yeah, we, we brought, we did it, we finished it, took it to the label, One Little Indian in, in London, and um, the head of radio there said, I don't hear a single. Yeah, really? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, A and M heard it and said, "Right, drive that fast. Off we go. Brilliant. Good. This is what we want." Okay. So it, it it did well in America and it didn't do well in England because 
it didn't have that backing. It, hmm. Yeah, people didn't get it. I suppose yeah. for, and I don't know why, but people in America seemed to get it, which was really nice. That's so interesting because you know you guys are often are often sort of considered like a forerunner or godfathers of that whole shoegaze movement and everything like that, which I don't know that that ever really became as big a thing in the States as it, or I don't know, actually, maybe it did. Maybe it was a bigger thing in the States than it was in the UK. I think it's, it's probably bigger now than it was then. Yeah, that might be true, actually. Uh, I think I think it's really become a, a, a thing, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely something I've no interest in. <laughs> really? So that uh, no, was, was going to be me. my question. If you if you were influenced by, I don't know if, you know, My Bloody Valentine or Ride, no. or I, I think you predated a lot of those bands. We, well, we did, we predated Ride, yes. But um, no, My Bloody Valentine uh, definitely that, uh, isn't anything album. Definitely made us feel that we should toughen up some of the sounds. Mm. Um, but I was always pop and but in a twisted way. So mm -hmm. I, I would listen to Gang of Four and mm -hmm. Julian would listen to the Cocteau Twins. And so mm -hmm. that's what you get. That's perfect. You get me being sort of a jarring pop person and Julian mm -hmm. being the ambient um, sort of stratospheric sound person. And yeah. you mix the two together and there you go. Yeah. Um, but he, he had an ear for pop. You know, we, we were both fairly obsessed by Phil Spector and um, the Walker Brothers and Beatles. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we had an ear for pop, definitely, um, in a good way, not mm -hmm. in the way it's become, I don't think. Right, um, right. But uh, so, yeah, so I was much more angular, jagged, okay, post-punk stuff, and Julian much more drifty. Okay. Brian um, Eno. Yeah, yeah. Brian Eno was Julian world, and definitely not me. <laughs> really? But, Even yeah. though you're, I imagine you're a big Bowie guy, but Eno. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but in the way that... Bowie would like pop. Uh, he would mm -hmm. like sounds, but mm -hmm. the, the, the sounds weren't to, were there to augment. They weren't there to be predominate. You know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I would I would listen to low side one, and Julian would listen to low side. There two. you go. There you I, go. I, I was <laughs> thinking that. Uh, you know, and, and I've I, Bowie's my number one, but I've never w quite warmed to the synthier side twos on those. They feel like filler to me in a way it's just it's like put all that stuff on another album and and leave it alone i, I like the poppier stuff on those albums yeah so much more yeah well i, I think that's me and yeah def i definitely would never play side two i just wasn't interested mm -hmm. I, I wanted his stories i wanted his voice and yeah. i think julian really wanted the side two stuff and it, so it was good it worked really well for a while that, mm -hmm. you know having that um the mix of the two mm -hmm. yeah okay so when you guys started out i think we talked about this a little bit last time and i may I, maybe i'll say that a few more times maybe i won't i don't know but um when w love is hell to me sounds very raw it sounds like a band it almost sounds like a demo in a way it sounds like a band who's got some great ideas um but the power or the majesty that hugh would bring in on those next two albums isn't quite there yet yeah, and uh fair enough but also time so the love is hell was done in 12 days you know recorded oh, and mixed really and yeah and what was hilarious about love is hell well not hilarious it was awful um <laughs> was that it, they're not real drums so we were oh. told by the 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 guy who ran the label uh also did the sugar cubes and he just said well we don't use real drums anymore we program everything and it sounds better 
and that's what we're going to do with your record. Mm. So we had all these tedious hours of programming, which was just awful. And so it's quite a stilted record in my mind. Mm. Uh, but we did what we could in 12 days in yeah. a basement in in East London. It was all right. Whereas uh, Strange Free World and, and Death of Cool were both four weeks of total indulgence with a couple of weeks pre-production. Yeah, it was proper... Okay. Yeah, you know, get in your jet, Mister Rockstar, and have some fun. <laughs> you know, be pampered. It was right. quite shocking, shockingly indulgent. I thought. But I bet. Didn't stop me having fun. Uh, I can imagine. So were the you know were labels coming to you with Love Is Hell saying we see a lot of promise here. We think if we can you know third time we open the capsule that might be. I don't know if you consider that the kitchen's signature song or if that's drive yeah. that fast. I don't know. Well, both of those uh, will do. Um, I think when we were doing Love Is Hell, we'd signed to One Little Indian, so that was it. Oh, they had us true. for Good point. five albums, and okay. we had, there was no escape from their oh. clutches. And then they licensed us, uh, you know, to various countries, including America to A and M. And of course, we had no control over any of this, mm. uh, which was interesting. A and M were great, though. I have to say, really? the, the people at A and M were very into it. Well, they kind of got it. Mm. Um, what was weird is they wanted us to re-record third time we opened the capsule for Strange Free World. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they, did they not think the the original was, you know, muscle muscly? No, enough, they thought or? it was good. They just wanted a version that they could put out because it was it was done uh, on Rough sure. Trade. Yeah, good America. point. Okay, good point. Um, so Rough Trade put it out in America with the Elephantine EP added on. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and we just said no. Because yeah. <laughs> it was, we were bolshy and we wouldn't do what anybody else wanted. Um, hence the name of the band, I think. Yeah. And we we just said no. Okay. And that and that was that really. Right. Now. And luckily, uh, we had drive that fast and quick as rainbow, so it was all right. Yeah, worked out fine. Um, okay. So since you brought it up, and I'm sure these are the things that have come up on every interview you've ever done. The two two kind of big stumbling block. Well. That's terrible to say. I don't know. At the time, stumbling blocks <laughs> might have been you had an odd name and an openly gay lead singer. And those are probably two things that marketers are like, hmm, how do we deal with this? How do we appeal to the guy, the kids on their skateboards in America with these two things? Right? Yeah. How? How would you do that? <laughs> so these days, that would just be kind of dull, I suppose. Yeah. They'd, they'd probably say, what else have you got? <laughs> right. Whereas back Back then in 1991, that was really awful. And it was, 
the band name they weren't too fussed about. Um, oh, really? No, they, they, it was it was definitely please tone down what you're writing. Hmm. Don't be don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I ignored them completely. Yeah, I mean, um, but that, that I just I it was really important to me not to lie. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was just out. I was part of the fairly politicised lesbian and gay community in London worked for the lesbian and gay switchboard there was no way I was not going to take that on particularly mm-hmm. at a time politically where you had HIV and AIDS mm-hmm. activism happening and it was crucial for me to me because mm-hmm. I'd seen Bronsky beat you know mm-hmm. it didn't seem an issue to me mm-hmm. I'd seen Boy George it was this is what you do yeah you know yeah I remember reading Frankie Goes to Hollywood's album sleeve when they came, when it when the, that first album came out, and it said uh, for each of the band member, likes brunettes, likes redheads, likes blondes, and then for for um, whatever he's called, Paul Rutherford and uh-huh. uh, Holly said likes fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, that's one way of saying it. Yeah. So they were never. A, 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 I suppose I was a bit overt, um, but that's just who I am. Yeah. No regret. And okay. It was important, and I think the feedback I get still is, "Thank you for doing that. Sure. That meant something to me." Did it close people off? Sure, but mm-hmm. so what? I, I don't think not singing about it would make them open to the music anyway. Right. Who were your role models well, at the time? Who were Who were you seeing? Were you getting feeling empowered by anyone else? Was it uh, Boy George or? Jimmy Somerville? Oh, or? not at all. No, okay. not nothing. <laughs> really? I didn't. Th- I didn't think about it as um, role models at all. Hmm. No, no, no. Not contemporary. No, um, Jean Genet. Okay. So that that would be a role model. Hmm. Someone who was a thief and murderer, poet, <laughs> who really didn't care. Right. There was a great documentary with Jean Genet, and they just said to him, "So when did you first have sex with a man?" And he said, uh, "I can't remember." And they said, "Well, how many?" He went. There were hundreds. <laughs> and I just thought, so I took that for a lyric and stuck it in prize. The girl was thinner, his hair long, brown to match his eyes. It's none of your business what his name was. Would I even get a prize? There's been a hundred, and that's not boasting. Ways of this world. I dare even ask this. These pop walls are drowning. That was my inspiration, that kind of, you know, this is who I am, just deal with it. Yeah. And, and that really mattered. So my heroes were older. Okay. So Auden, Isherwood, um, Jean Genet, right. uh, Cocteau. It was, it was, that they were my points of reference. Got definitely. it. Okay. 
Okay. I didn't know if you were, you know, if some, I don't know who the icon would even be, if some other person that is out there in the music business is sort of taking you under their wing saying, look, I, I did it, you can do it too, and you're gaining some no. strength from that, nothing like no. that. No, 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 no. We were too small and unimportant a band for anyone to do that. Mm. Um, no. Okay. And I, I tried to do that afterwards for a couple of bands, and that really didn't go down well. Really? <laughs> yeah. They just would rather play the game than come out and have you help them. No, no, they just didn't see it as a problem anymore. Oh, I see what you mean. You know, they didn't feel they needed mentoring or support. So they were okay. It's like, well, I'm all right, thanks, mate. See ya. Yeah, okay. So it was fine. Okay. So I think, yeah, after that, maybe sort of late 90s, things just stopped being, stopped mattering as much. Yeah. Possibly. And now, I Mm. mean, it's fairly... It's really mundane, isn't it? It is. I think. It is. Yeah. I mean, I it's just not an issue anymore, really. I think what's what is an issue is dishonesty. Mm, so if you get point. found out that you've lied, I think that doesn't go down well. Mm-hmm. But if you're fairly straight about who you are, mm-hmm. excuse the pun, but there you go. Yeah. Then it's all right now. Yeah. Anyway. It seems to be. No, I think you're right. It seems like authenticity is the biggest currency yeah. these days. I think that matters, and that really mattered to me. So that's. Yeah. I, I couldn't hide behind anything because that just wasn't the kind of person I was. Right. Um, and I'm sure you you kind of touched on this a minute ago. When you're bringing songs like Within the Days of Passion. talking about passion between two men i mean are, are people coming to you say are label people like kind of shaking their head like no don't don't do this um or <laughs> you know um strangely enough no okay nothing happened uh i think partly because there was some balance on the record because it wasn't always about good point shagging men mm-hmm. um but <laughs> you know because i did sing about other things mm-hmm. uh but Gorgeous Love, which is, I think, the most out there song I did on Strange Free World, was a single in America.
Was it? Oh, okay. So it went, drive that fast, quick as rainbows, gorgeous love. Okay. So, um, was there, a, there wasn't a video for it. No, so it was just a, you know, a yeah. CD going to, gone to radio. Okay. I don't think anyone played it, but it was, they, they didn't lose faith in that. Huh. No. I, I um, good. I, you're, you're one of those bands like the Trash Can Sinatras that I mentioned a minute ago, where I don't recall hearing, because I would have been at, at like peak of my alternative radio life. I mean, uh, I'm 45, so at that time, from 80, late 80s, I was in high school, early 90s high yeah. school, uh, listening to that kind of thing. I, Kitchens of Distinction was always a name that I remember hearing, but I don't remember yeah. hearing a song. And now, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, which uh, is... Um, well, there you go. <laughs> now, uh, I had a feeling that might be your response. We actually have a very vibrant alternative radio culture there, I know you do I remember it I remember playing there did you um, really yeah we opened first Suzanne Vega when we were on tour with her for uh -huh. seven long weeks um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the highlights was playing Salt Lake City um, yeah because it was really striking that we had these really nice people looking after us and they went out of their way to get us alcohol and tequila in particular. Really? And they look quite rough and, and sort of Mohican and tattooed. And yet they were dry. They wouldn't smoke or drink. So yeah. it was kind of fascinating to see that <laughs> and for, to have them just watch our terrible behavior as the evening degenerated. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I have fond memories of Salt Lake City. I really liked it. Good. It's. Uh, I am constantly shocked by how many people... I have because my interests lie primarily in alternative music. Whenever I get someone who's in my wheelhouse on here, and I mention I'm from Salt Lake, inevitably they have some story like that, or it's something like I never partied harder than I did in Salt Lake City. The women right. have never been looser than they were in so these Mormon girls in Salt Lake City. You know, okay. partied there harder. You go. There's, huh? there there's you nothing go. like repression to bring people out of their shells. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's. It, I enjoyed Salt Lake City. It was fun, but you know, probably not there long enough to fully immerse sure, ourselves in it. Sure. In yeah. Just a couple okay. of nights, but it was fun. And also, you the radio thing. Kitchens would have been on the radio in ninety one, ninety two, and that's it. Mm. Then gone. Yeah. You know, because okay. the fourth album was just dropped like a stone. Yeah. Absolutely. The A and M just heard it and went, nope, because that was Nirvana had just hit, and it 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 fitted in like a bad tooth so, yeah yeah <laughs> were you uh did you would you think that you put as much heart and work into that fourth album as the rest or was the band starting to kind of fray anyway oh that was really hard work uh it took three months that last album really and it was a lot of that was just the writing of it um in the studio which was a mistake Mm. Uh, that was a really bad mistake. Never do that, kid. Okay. <laughs> uh, get get your songs written at home first. Um, uh, and yeah, everything was just going horribly wrong. Yeah, mm. for a bit. Then it sort of chilled out again, and then it went wrong again. So, mm. I guess it was the. I remember saying to the boys there, "I have nothing left to write about." Really. And and feeling quite bleak, and writing now it's time to say goodbye. And <laughs> it was such an obvious. <laughs> Oh. Right. All the stones inside my head were carefully removed by the doctor's perfume scholar hands. 
Yeah, but I think there was still at that point some optimism and hope because it carried on for another two years. Really? Just without another album? Uh, we, we toured um, and then we we went off and did an American tour off our own backs, drove ourselves around Oh boy! with our mate Andy Proudfoot, who was our tour manager. And we had a great time. Well, I had a great time doing that last tour because we were really in control and there was no record company at all. And also there was no product in any mm. of the shops. But it was really enjoyable. And mm -hmm. then we did a one last single for Fifth Panda in 1996. done all these demos we'd written the fifth album and we dumped it really yeah now you I, have, I left i quit yeah you did and it's interesting when you say that you were out of things to write about because you've been so prolific with all these other side projects whether they be fruit or lost girls or stephen hero or now oscar's drum it's like every now and then there's a with regularity, there's a new album of yours coming out with new music. Yeah. You can't seem to stop yourself. I know. It's awful. <laughs> it's not awful. It's so good. <laughs> What's wrong with him? Why can't he stop? No. Um, yes. Well, no, I've just finished another one. Well, I'm, I'm just in the midst of doing final mixing on a solo record. So. Now, when you say yeah. solo, what is that? Is this... Is Stephen Hero solo or is yeah, Oscar's so drum solo? Yeah, it's a Stephen Hero record. Okay. I'm just finishing finishing off at the moment, and it's um, oh, I'm very pleased with this one. Uh, it's fairly baroque. It's piano and cello, really? and some guest singers on it. We learned the names of birds and trees, we learned the names of stars. Constellations in the west, wild and cold and far. These keen northern nights, 
We map the walks, the beaches, coves, the shingle, fragile strand. Lightning struck to fulgurite for Aminifera. Green northern lights. I remember, I remember, feels far and distant. Vague pictures, blurred vistas. We learned to sing and cook and dance. Picked up the piano. Soups and jams were poured. Interesting. Okay. And I, yes, and quite a few, few little guests on it. Nice. Um, doing things. It is. It's really nice. So I'm very pleased with this thing. Good. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, you know, when we talked before, Oscar's drum degenerate art was a new thing, and. Yeah. Um, October last year. Yeah, I think we talked, you and I talked in like November or December. And I love that album. In fact, Suffocation, I think, is my favorite album, favorite song. Oh, really? Yeah, I really like Suffocation. Hey, gang, just want to break in here for a minute, take care of some business. And I want to give you guys all a chance to listen to a little bit more of Suffocation from Oscar's Dream. This is from the album that came out last year. It's called Degenerate Art. It is so good. <laughs> Everything Patrick puts his fingers on, I am a fan of. Uh, now, I want to say congratulations to John Bolsar, who won the, the Ron Nevison contest. I will be sending him a Hustle t-shirt in medium. It was a very scientific way we went about. Uh, Paul was kind of joking about the A's ball cap. What I did was I took everybody who sent an email, guessing the guest, and then with a snapshot of the review that they wrote, either on iTunes or on Facebook, and we got like, I don't know, about a million. And then I assigned them a number in order that they sh that they arrived. And then I told my wife, Farah, pick a number between one and a million. And uh, she picked John's number. And that's how John won the t-shirt. So anyway, congrats, John. I got to put that in the mail for you. I want to talk about that for a second because I want to read some new reviews. Thankfully, we got some new ones. Uh, I'm going to read the iTunes ones this week. I'll read the Facebook ones next time. This one is from Pimpin' Ho. I love that. Pimpin' Ho gave us five stars. A fantastic pod podcast. Oh, with an incredible host. Thank you, Pimpin' Ho. A fantastic podcast with an incredible host. The Hustle Podcast examines the careers of a variety of artists that either had their big moment and had to move on or out of the limelight or had the big change in the music industry's tastes that took the spotlight off of them. John Lamoureux is an incredible host, thank you Pimpin' Ho, and isn't afraid to dig deep and ask tough questions in hopes the artists are willing to elaborate on said topic. Thank you very much. Uh, Mikey Risner, we love Mike. Five stars, thank you Mike. Great expose with unique icons. Subscribe to this podcast. There are great iconic people within these episodes. Singers, songwriters, musicians, producers, varying genres. My top three favorite episodes feature John Parr, singer-songwriter of St. Elmo's Fire, Martin Page, the songwriter for King of Wishful Thinking, and Sandy Soraya, lead singer of Soraya. Uh, Mike was one of those people who, from day one, was very vocal about trying to get Sandy Soraya on the show, which is why we made her our 
fourth birthday special guest because I got so many requests from her over the years. Uh, for her, I should say. Now, the third one, and I gotta, I'm going to elaborate on this. 35 Street Magic. I don't, other than Mikey, I don't know who these other two people are. So thank you, whoever. Maybe I do, and I don't know that this is your ID on here. But anyway, thank you, whoever you are. 35 Street Magic, five stars. Love the show. Please keep it going. Deep Dive Wang Chung Mosaic. I love the interviews with the awesome artists from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Great job. And this is part of my Saturday morning walks in New York City and Los Angeles. I love the... I love... I got to interject. I love the idea that somebody is out there walking around in New York City with their headphones on listening to us. That is so cool. Because I do that. And to think that I am that for somebody else. Amazing. Keep the magic going. Can you please do a deep dive of the Wang Chung album Mosaic? That would be sick. Now... Let me tell you, 35 Street Drive, 35 Street Magic, I'm sorry. Um, Yes. So when I read this, I I had kind of similar thoughts because Jack, I felt Jack Hughes and I sort of hit it off. I mean, we had a good chemistry there going and that interview went really well and I liked him and I think he liked me. And uh, so I've been thinking like, yeah, I really... I should go back to Jack. I bet he would talk to me again, but you know, I'm some nobody and he's Jack Hughes from Wang Wang Chung. How do I know that he doesn't vibe with everybody that he, that does interviews with him? I don't know. So anyway, when I read this from 35 street magic, I'm thinking, you know, I would love to talk to Jack, but they're in the middle. They're about to release a new album uh, of orchestral versions of their hits. And so that he's got to be slammed right now. So much going on. So I thought, maybe I'll wait and let it die down. And later this year, I'll look. At, I'll try and find him. Get this. The next day, I wake up and I have an email in my inbox from Jack Hughes. I have not spoken to him since we did the interview a year ago or whenever that was. Hey, John, I don't know if you've heard, but we have a new album coming out, orchestral versions of our hits. And I wondered if you would like to talk with me about it for the show. Can you believe this? Jack Hughes emailed me out of the blue just like that. So I said, well, it's funny you would do this, Jack, because yes, I would love to talk with you about orchestography. And if you're up for it sometime, I'd love to do this deep dive with you. He said, well, it's funny you mentioned that. We're going to be re-releasing and remastering the original albums later this year. Why don't we wait and do it then when the real release comes out? So, later this week, I think on uh, release date for the new album, we're going to do a promo mode. We're going to set out, put out a promo mode of me and Jack talking about the new album. And then... This later this year, this fall or early next year, I don't, I'm not exactly sure when, when Mosaic is re-released, he and I are going to do a deep dive of that. So it's all taken care of, 35 Street Magic. Can you believe this? Anyway, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for people like Patrick, people like Jack Hughes, anyone who, Kevin Armstrong for crying out loud, anyone who talks to me, I'm just grateful. And I'm grateful that you guys listen. Uh, and just to throw it out there, go buy a shirt. It would, we would love it if you did. Uh, it would mean a lot to us. Go to Amazon, type in the Hustle Podcast merch, and all that stuff will pop up, okay? Anyway, let's get back to Patrick. 
as I mentioned, some people were contacting me after that, after me mentioning your name recently saying, you know, I've always loved them and I've pointed them toward that Bandcamp link or whatever to, or was oh, it SoundCloud, whatever it is. Like you've got to hear the, what he's up to now because it is so good. And I've had oh. a few people respond in kind. So I want you to know that there's, you know, I don't know if it's big enough to merit a tour or whatever, but there are some people out there who still care deeply about you and what you're oh, doing. Oh, that's very nice to hear. Well, Oscar's drum, you know, when we play, um, we do a bit, we do some kitchen songs as well because uh, mm. it's, it's nice to do that. Yeah. So, we've, we, you know, we were doing Drive That Fast and Quick as Rainbows and stuff, um, as well as the Oscar's drum stuff, because it fitted. It seemed, yeah. you know, it's more of a thing. Uh, but Eve, the guy in Oscar's drum, is off touring with Peter Hook now, so oh. there's very little time to do stuff. So he's in Peter Hook's band, okay. and they're busy a lot of yeah. the time. But um, if he ever, you know, if he ever has a pause, we'll be doing shows again. Yeah. Good. Okay. And we should stay uh, for people who don't know. You're a doctor. That's your full time yeah. job, correct? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So these, all these musical projects, are things you do when you're not saving lives. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure I save any lives, but there you go. Well, um, <laughs> you're kind of a superhero, make... doctor by day, oh, rock star at night. I'm, well, I, I, yeah, I make 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 hopefully make lives a, a little less painful. That's what I do. Uh huh. Yeah, that's yeah, a very... same with same with music. <laughs> yes. So what's your what's your medical specialty? So my background is general practice, but I work in palliative medicine. Okay, which means so, what? What do you do? Uh, I so I, I run a hospice. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. So I look after people who are living with life-limiting illnesses, held hence not not curing, but making mm -hmm. life more bearable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you find among your patients is the most common thread? What's the, what's their biggest complaint or discomfort? Uh, well, apart from all the physical stuff, um, I would say um, regret. Really? Yeah, it's really, really, really common. And is, it, really is common. it primarily elderly people that you're looking after? Mm, no. Not oh. at all. With any, anyone above the age of 18. Really? Look after. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So it's, it's, you know, it's intense and it's hardcore, but it, it kind of fits me. Yeah. That's that's what I'm like with my music, intense and <laughs> yeah. unrelenting. Good so point. That's, you know, and I and I've, it makes life really poignant uh, working in this field. I bet. Um, and it makes you you know relish the day. Um, hospice is largely people kind of at the end or near the end, right? Do people get better well, and leave hospice? I'm, yeah, I'm not do. sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so we do we do both. Um, yeah, so we, we try. We, we have a variety of services. So there's an inpatient unit, day services. I'm going to sound like an advert now. No, it's um, okay. We, I want to hear it. We, we do all kinds of stuff, absolutely extraordinary things that the team do. You know, going yeah. out to people's houses, doing all kinds of stuff just to try and make life that bit better. Okay. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, good. Good for you. Um, one of the reasons I'm asking all these questions is I year or two ago read this book being mortal have you heard of this book oh no that is that's cornerstone isn't it atul gawande it's yeah an amazing book yeah. it really is and it's it is. changed it's my whole way of thinking about so many things and my yeah and my parents are in their 70s and uh you realize how important it is to have conversations with people about death i mean no one wants to talk about that but 
we have to be real and what do you want and hearing those stories of, especially of like elderly people I, I i can't remember if this was in the book or a friend of mine told me that he um there was an elderly guy in a in a nursing home or whatever and he was not doing well but he loved friday monday night football and mm. um during the that's american by the way if you didn't know that so monday night football <laughs> um when the season ends or or maybe the 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 rest home that he was in stopped carrying cable that had the channel that was monday yeah. night football and he suddenly kind of lost his will to live because Absolutely. he couldn't watch monday night football anymore and yeah. just the joy and anticipation of watching that is what kept him alive and this is so important. It's knowing that and yeah. then providing it. Yeah. So if you don't know that and you haven't asked, then you can't fulfill that wish. Yeah. So, yeah, doing that work is is crucial to people's um, hope, actually, yeah. maintaining hope. I agree. There I agree. Go. Well, good. You must have a really, I can already kind of tell, you must have a really soft sort of bedside manner if you're going to have to deal with people in this state on you know, yeah. daily. <laughs> I, yeah, it kind of goes with the territory. You can't just go in, well, it's all over. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But you must just be a really empathetic person to have to deal with this. And then well, I'm always wondering good. how doctors in your situation, how they feel when they go home. I mean, are they just exhausted? Do you ever just want to get away and not have to deal with it so much? Or do you feel like it's more of a calling? Oh, definitely not a calling. No, really? It's, okay. Um, no, if I could... If I could have, I'd have just been doing music, uh -huh. um, but this is where I've ended up, okay. and uh, so it's not a calling. But it, it, it. The reason I like doing it is because it has, it's intense and it has meaning. Mm. When you're doing just regular general practice and you're coming across fairly mundane things, it's kind of dispiriting. Well, it is to me. Yeah. Whereas I like it hard. I like difficult stuff to okay. deal with. It makes me think and it makes me engage. It's, it keeps you in the moment as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, good. Um, now, switching <laughs> back to rock and roll. Um, yeah. Yeah, tell quick. Us, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I thought that was really fascinating. You don't get to talk to too many rock stars that are doing what you're doing. And so I just wanted no. to hear where you were coming from. No, you, you know? don't. And, and, and honestly, people at work don't know about the past. Don't, don't they? tell people. Well, no, because it's really weird. You can't, you know, you talk about being in a band and, being, you know, being raucous and drunk and gay, and they yeah. just think that doesn't quite fit with your professional persona that you've got now. Right, right. Oh, that's <laughs> if great. they only knew. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, tell me, tell me some Suzanne Vega stories, because yeah, that you're right. That was just one of the most misguided um, double bills that I can think of. You know, you guys opening for her at that time um uh, it, was, it was that was a work of genius wasn't it so a and m <laughs> decided that both us and suzanne needed a bit of a lift up i mean i don't know why they thought she did because she was doing fine mm -hmm. but apparently she wasn't doing as well in the states as she was doing in europe so she did this album and we were opening for her because we had an album out at the same time mm -hmm. and my favorite was on the very first night we went to go and do an interview in new jersey and <laughs> Julian says, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like um, Jimi Hendrix opening for Joan Baez. <laughs> and this got back to Team Vega. 
and oh, no. we had to we had to apologise before we got thrown off the tour. <laughs> the, um, very upset, Suzanne. Which, of course, we didn't mean to do. I mean, it yeah. wasn't that. It was just a, a comic aside. But it really didn't fit. And when we were playing songs, I think it was off Death of Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever we did Mad as Snow, because um, it, it had a nice gentle introduction and uh, before it went to a sonic onslaught. supper clubs you know uh-huh. whilst people are eating we were playing <laughs> it was ridiculous <laughs> and uh, well we did Mad Snow and she'd just say oh, have, you, have you got any more songs like that one <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean quiet songs okay no sorry <laughs> that's great what can you did do? you get to know her well at all or was it a thing not where in the you... slightest okay. and, and I think she didn't she wasn't one to have a word with you hmm. um, and fair enough you know we were oh, I think fairly hostile and not approachable either. I, you know, it worked both ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, bless mm-hmm. her, poor thing. So, <laughs> so you know, um, yeah, I do have a complete sympathy. She should. It was inappropriate. She should have had a different band opening for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I quite like that record that she put out. There you go. I'm trying to. Uh, I think that was was a days it was 99.9. of open... Oh, was that the uh, one? Nice. Really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that was kind of the weird one. She had just married, I think, noise. Mitchell Froome. And yeah. his hands are all over that album. And, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's that. So, you know, I can kind of, I sort of get it. Hmm. You know, some, somebody who doesn't like music made a decision that these two things sounded similar. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, okay. you know, I, it was really fraught for her yeah. as well as for us. So it's a, an interesting memory. Yeah. Who were some of the other, were you paired up with anyone else on other tours, whether they be in the States or in the UK? Oh, in the States, we were, the tour before that, we were headlining and we had um, a band, two bands from England called Kingmaker and Bleach opening for us. I don't know um, either of those bands and I feel no, like I know well, a lot they, about English There you go, rock. so we're not quite sure what they were doing over there, huh, but we had fun. Okay. Um, oh gosh, in America, what did we do? I think mostly we were headlining small clubs. Hmm. No one else would have us. <laughs> right. um, I th- were we doing anything else? Um, stuff we did in the UK. Very one of the first tours we did was opening for the Triffids. Oh um, right, Australian okay. band. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that was that was kind of sad. They Why? weren't in a good place. They were lo- they were being dropped from their label. They were in a they were miserable. And I think not long after the the guy the singer died, it was all very sad. Oh no way! I, I really liked them as well. They're a band I've never quite investigated as much as I should, but again, I keep mentioning the Trashcan Sinatras. He 
yeah. John Douglas is the guy's name. He listed them as one of his big influ- influences. He loved them as well. Well, yeah, Triffids and Go-Betweens. There's something Love really... the Go-Betweens, yeah. Well, the Triffids were, were more sort of mainstream, I guess, but they really? he had such a lovely voice. And, yeah, a couple of the songs were so beautiful. Um, huh. Yeah. I need to listen to them. Love. People I love love them, so I need to I need to investigate. This is on me. I can't remember the name name. of the album, but the album was Bury Me Deep in Love on it. So it, it was, it's lovely. It's really okay, good. okay. Um, who else did we open for? Bowie? <laughs> You did? Tin Machine. We opened for Tin oh, Machine. Oh, Tin on Machine, one show. really? Yeah, there you did, are. Came did you get to pain. talk to him or meet him or anything? Oh, no. Clear the stairs. David mm. is on the stairs. Didn't mm. use the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Um, I'm sure, there's probably loads, but I just can't oh, remember. That's the best. Um, okay. I think we, we, we just weren't very, we weren't very good team players. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, have... This is an odd question I've never asked, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have any kind of like scrapbook or do you have like a drawer in your desk with all your ticket stubs and flyers Ooh. and all that you kind know, of I stuff? No, I don't. Really? I don't. I, Does your I think mom? Dan has. I think Dan's good with the um, okay. memorabilia. Yeah. We've got some photos because there was a box set that came out about three years, two years ago, three years ago. Mm. Uh, the, the, the label did, and I didn't really get involved in it, but I sent whatever I had to the guys who were putting it together. Okay. And um, so whoever, I think Dan or Julian have got the lot of it now. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at collecting stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know if... Uh, I'm not very nostalgic like that. That's interesting, because I'm, envis- I'm projecting here, but I'm imagining this guy with these... With, like we said before, this dual life going on where, you know, by mm. day he's the doctor and by night he's the rock star. And Yeah, but I, that one didn't happen. So I was just yeah, doing good point. music for 16 years and yeah. then went back to medicine. Okay. And, you know, so I, no, it was absolutely. So after the band, I was doing solo stuff, but I was also scoring films. And you were? Scoring, doing theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You know, I was really trying to keep my hand into music. Yeah. So I ended up scoring a short film for um, for a friend that ended up at Sundance, and it oh, won. Um, really? Best international short film. Yeah. Kind of futuristic sex robot on another planet. A very weird <laughs> film called Tomo, T-O-M-O, um, about a man stranded on a planet with a robot, and the robot falls in love with the man and destroys their chance of escaping the planet. <laughs> It's amazing, really quite weird wow. film. So okay. I scored that, and it won. And I was going to go over again to America to see if I could get into sort of that sort of world. Yeah. And then, and then this opportunity arose to go back to medicine, and I chose that route. Hmm. Um, yeah, because I'd scored a, a, a feature film as well. Really. Um, a, around the same time, called Thirty Three Times Around the Sun, and that was a really difficult experience. Um, trying to write to a director's demands where he didn't know what he wanted. Really? Just, you know, it's yeah. that sort of classic thing of, I'll know it when I hear it. Right, okay, so are which, you... Which gives you nothing. Right, is he asking you for like multiple cues for each scene yeah. and he'll just yeah. maybe pick one and, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, lovely, lovely bloke, weird yeah. film. Mm. Um, and then he ended up using about two pieces repetitively, which didn't think worked. Oh. But... But that's what he wanted, and he got he got the effect he wanted. But it just made me realize I'd just get very dissatisfied doing that. It's not what I 
do. I think my creativity is very much about me being in charge of mm. it. Yeah, I could see that. Sure. Control. Sure. Of course. Okay. Okay. Did the other guys in the band, did they ever express frustration about being in a gay band, so to speak? Ah. I mean, that sounds oh, harsh, but you know what I Dan mean. Dan and Julian. <laughs> you know? Ew, I felt, I mean, Dan was, you know, he was always quite left wing and, and supportive and just said, no, we're with you, mate. I'll yeah. put a dress on for you, mate. <laughs> he had no qualms. He had no issues because he was a very settled heterosexual man. He, mm. you know, just didn't phase him at all. Julian, oh it just didn't fit his vision and you know he was fine about it but not what he mm -hmm. really wanted because he just sure. wanted to get lost in an ambient world of sparkly sounds in the sky mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry jules <laughs> well, well and it's you know if i were 20 years old or whatever getting with some buddies and i had the prospect of becoming a rock star that you have a vision of what that life must be like and yeah. um it's maybe this didn't fit the vision and then you kind of have to like what am i is it can i make this work anyway you know it's unfortunate now it might be different bands like block party and grizzly bear who are very successful and have gay members maybe they don't even it's not even an issue for them now you know i'm sure nobody even asks them yeah yeah you know, are you implying that i'm i'm kind of behind the times because i'm asking no 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 it was it mattered to our career whereas <laughs> right. it didn't matter to theirs so okay. it is no, I think I think we were just sort of part of that stepping stone, yeah. and you know we, we broke. Yeah, and there it is. Yeah, okay. That's uh, okay. I, 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 whatever happened, they stayed with me. Didn't yeah. stop. Good. You know, and I've you know I've done quite a bit since, and um, I don't think they have. Hmm. So well, there you're it is. still doing it now. Tell me about Folly. Speaking about doing things since. Uh, you guys, yeah. was that 2013, I think? You come back together out of nowhere. Yeah, 2012. 2012. Um, is when we started doing it. And I just said to Julian, come on, let's do, let's have another go. Mm -hmm. And we started and it ended up with him just saying, and this was kind of what he did at the end of Kitchens, let's take your music and then I'll work on it. Mm. Um, which was okay, but it wasn't really what I had in my head. You were imagining, like, got the guys back in a room together. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, and it didn't work like that. Um, so it, it was not the, not the thing, I, I think, hence folly. But, mm -hmm. um, but it was all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really, really like some of the songs on it very much. Tell me um, one. What's your favorite on it? I think there's the song called Photographing Rain, which I, I still play on the piano, and I really like it.
something about it that gets me. I don't know why, but I really like that song. Uh, no Longer Elastic. I really like that mm, song. Good one. Weird string. a mixed experience i'd say yeah and and did, it caused friction afterwards actually uh, did you guys Which go out and tour or anything were no, there it no. was just and you weren't we were in the never, same room so we were never in the room at the same time the three of us yeah <laughs> so and i think you What's can tell point? it doesn't have that sort of cohesiveness to it yeah um it would it would be so lovely to play those songs together um but it just wasn't going to happen no that's and too bad but we made something of which I think some of it's really good. Um, yeah. And other bits, I think, well, I could have done that differently. But the, the key to it would have been just having three people in a room playing. Yeah. That that's would have fixed the problems. Yeah. Wasn't but it wasn't in the cards. Okay. Mm. No. But I still think it was worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it actually helped us repair a few bridges between us. And that was really positive. Okay. So I think that, that mattered. Good. Is there, I mean, do you guys ever get requests to come play like nostalgia shows or tour anymore or we do anything? Do. We do, but um, there is not the will to do it. Really? From anyone or from one guy or what? Uh, well, whenever one of them wants to do it, the other one doesn't. Uh, and and now I'm too busy. Yeah. Um, so I, I had the willing all the time, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I was the one who quit the band, you know, 10 years later, it's all right. We're repaired yeah. or 20 years now, even. Um, so the offers came, started about 10 years ago. And the, I think they sort of dried up because we just all said no. Really? <laughs> That's so typical of this band. That's a shame. Yeah. What are these offers? Is it to get you and I don't know, are they festivals? Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Come and play festival. Come and do this. Come and do okay. that. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just not going to happen. There it is. That's so oh, weird. Yeah. Well, not really. If you I knew these boys like I knew these I boys. I guess so. Nah. I guess so. Okay. I just always, and I find this pops up a lot. It's kind of a common theme with me and the people I talk to. I come at, I come at this thinking that being a rock star is the pinnacle. That's always yeah. what everybody wants. 
And so when they don't choose that, they choose something else. I always question, why would you do that? Why are you, you know, not, and, and that's, and I really want to know not, and I'm learning that, especially talking to people like you, that being the rock star is not, it's all cracked up to be. It's hard. It's a lot of work. You don't always make well, a lot I've of no money. You deal with I, that, that wasn't me. I never was that. So <laughs> well, I, I still don't know. I think that involves a lot of ego and confidence. You know, if you're going to be Prince Madonna, uh, Bowie, yeah. you know, or Kanye West, you, you have unassailable self-confidence that and nothing stands in your way. Yeah. And that was not us. And also, it's a really weird place to be as a person, I mm. think. And I relish the fact that people don't know who I am. Mm, really? Great. Yes. Huh. Absolutely. Because I started getting recognized in about the early 90s. I started being spotted on the street yeah. and I didn't like it. it wasn't for me huh the thing I wanted John was to play music right it wasn't the, the trappings of you know makeup and lights yeah so that's okay. where I went wrong okay well no that makes sense but nowadays yeah, I mean 20 years too late I should have been in yes <laughs> right. you know, good point good Rick point. Wakeman's uh, you know cloak <laughs> right <laughs> that's a good name for a band Rick yeah. Wakeman's cloak. That should be your you next go. offshoot, your next solo <laughs> thing, you know? Um, but I, you know, I always think, well, okay, but if, if um, you know, like it's some weekend in Manchester, I don't even, I'm throwing this out there. In Manchester, there's a shoegaze weekend in July and we're getting offered 10,000 pounds to come play four songs on one of the stages why would mm. no? Why would someone not do that? And all of that is completely made up. It may be more or less or different. I have no idea. But in That's that scenario, it's like, uh, yeah, if someone's going to throw some money at me to go be the band that I believed in at one time yeah. and live that life yeah. for a minute on a weekend, why not? You know. Yep, I'm not disagreeing. Oh, uh, and, you know, <laughs> it, felt... it was it was almost there. Okay, and um, and then. Um, it, almost that identical scenario, huh. and it just went uh, awry. Uh, yeah. Within about three weeks, somebody fell out with somebody, and that was that. Oh shoot! Okay. Yeah, but it's not uncommon. I think. Yeah, no, I know. I yeah, it's just it, as a fan, as somebody. Now I'm over here. There's probably no way you would ever get back to the states, specifically Denver, to play a show like this. But as Only someone who you. cares about you, well. <laughs> It's so funny you say that. My dream in life is to be rich enough to pay for my favorite musicians to come over and play in my house. There's That's a guy my... in Greece who does that. I've heard of this. Yes. Mm. Nah. Oh, Weird. man. One day. I would, I'll would. i pay day. to have Patrick come over to my house and do Drive That Fast and anything else you want to do. And I'll, <laughs> just, I'll just lay on the floor. You'll be in, like, the chair in my living room, and I'll just lay on the floor and listen. <laughs> My kids well, that's will be very, there. Very sweet, um, you know? John. When you're when you're next in England, you just come over. I'll do, I'll do a little show in the front room here. That's no problem. Oh. And you'll just you say, "I know that it was free, but can I have my money back?" <laughs> no way. Oh, it sounds like heaven to me. Oh man, it's the best. There you go. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, now, you personally, I think we talked about this last time. You're married, correct? You guys have kids? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. And no. how long have you been married? Um, 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. 
I had to think there. <laughs> well, how long did you guys meet under certain circumstances? Did he, was he a fan? Uh, not, no. 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 Nothing like no. that? No, but, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. Okay, okay, you don't have to. <laughs> I was just... Everything was... Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's all clicky. Is that all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I can still hear you. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, no, I mean, we do... Yeah, it was just fate. Just fate. Let's call it fate. Kismet. Okay. Was it an app on your phone or something oh, like that? Oh, God, no. No, okay. no, this is before mobiles. Okay. No, we met in uh, 94. Whoa, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, okay. My Yoko... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay, you're Yoko. Interesting. <laughs> okay, now I'm reading all this subtext and all this that I wasn't before. And I got it. Okay. All right. Well, good. Well, look, I uh, I thank you for talking with me again. I hope That's it was all right. not not painful or anything like that. No, no, it's absolutely fine. I, I just I I wish I could had a better memory for things. One thing I have done is. Since doing the uh, finishing the, the solo records, recording wise, I've been going through trying to get myself together for for a show because I'd mm. like to play. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things I was doing was actually going through the back catalogue and thinking, what could I play? What could I yeah. play without the band? And so I've been sat at the piano thinking about, well, if I do piano and cello and maybe something else, what could I play? Ooh. So I've got, got got myself a list of twenty five songs from what will be 17 albums. Really? Oh yeah, my This will be my 17th record. Oh my isn't gosh. Greedy, isn't it? No, it's um, great. And you, I mean, <laughs> you just can't help yourself. I mean, all these side projects. I can't and, help myself. Yeah. Uh, that's, but it keeps me sane and, it, and, and it, it feels, you know, each time it's like, well, this, this, this is good. I like this one. Yeah. Or else I wouldn't do it. I would imagine any kind of um, expectations or hopes of anything, I don't know, getting big enough to sustain you for a long period of time, those are probably gone at this stage. It's now more just to satisfy your creative <laughs> urges. I think those sorts of feelings went a long time ago when okay. I realized I didn't want to do that like uh, that. Okay. I put, I'm put in mind of things like Talk Talk uh. and... You know, when they did their sort of last record, last couple of records, and then Mark Hollis did his solo record, and you can really hear the mm -hmm. the love that's gone into all of that and the precision, and there was just no way that was going to carry on like that. It, you could just see it was exhausting and beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we have those treasures, so that's lovely. Yeah. Are you a Talk Talk fan? Because oh, our, yeah, yeah, yeah. we put out a new episodes every Tuesday and the episode we're putting out tomorrow is with Paul Webb with talk. Oh Man. gosh. Well that his new record is fantastic. Do you like it? Rustin man. I like it. Do you not yeah. like it? No, I do like it a lot. It's weird. It's not um, like I have to be in the mood for it. It's kind of like listening to jazz, you know, it's but like Robert I'm, Wyatt's got lost in a the fairground. There you go. Yes. That that's sort of broken. I love yeah. it. I think Good. it's really unusual and I like the sort of, Five, four weird timing stuff. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a, it's a very lovely record and um, also a bit brave on mm -hmm. the old vocals. You yeah. can shut me up at any time because I will just talk about other people's music. No, you're welcome. Time. That's why I asked specifically, especially Talk Talk. So my Mark Hollis is like my number one dream 
guest yeah. because it would never happen, you know. Well, and he's not going to do anything, is he? He's, he no. was sort of eaten up and destroyed in a way, I suppose. It was, I don't know what his decision-making was, but in a way, the, the expectation around that, you, you know, if you stamp on it hard enough, people yeah. leave you alone to get on with what you want to do. It's kind of true. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I love Talk Talk. I'm a huge fan of theirs, and he's mm. my number one wish. And I had tried to kind of find one of the other guys in the band maybe to talk and, and couldn't, nothing was working. And when I saw this Rustin Man album was coming out, I thought, oh, there's a, there's a chance right there. Maybe Paul will talk to me. And because I just find them so mysterious. How does it, how do people go from where they went to where they ended up? You know, how, how does that happen? You know? Mm. And, um, unfortunately talking to Paul, I'm just as mystified as I was. It was not that pleasurable of an experience. It was kind of, it kind of broke my heart a little bit, honestly. Um, Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, he was a certain, perfectly nice guy, but I really wanted to try and understand, you know, what what was going on? What are you, you know, as you go from today to it's my life to life's what you make it, and then on to Spirit of Eden, no one does that. What What's yeah. going on in the room? What are you guys talking about that's making you yeah. go there? And he would just say, oh, I was just the bass player. I was just there. Was, yeah. You know? Well, to be fair, he probably wasn't that involved in it, was he? I mean, from, from it what sounds that way. Yeah, yeah, it sounds that way. And um, uh, maybe he fight, he's a bit sort of, sort of tired of those of that of that world. I don't know. It's really hard, isn't it? Because he hasn't made a record for a long time. So no. But you know, it's it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, we've got what they made, and that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's best not to uncover those mysteries, eh? I uh, yeah, I tried, but uh, so you can write <laughs> a fictional one. Write a fictional. Um, uh, account of what really happened i should that's a good idea maybe i will okay well um patrick thanks for doing this with me a second time i think you're the best and uh no, bless you john such thank a good you. man and thank you for your time and for all you've done in this world your music makes me really happy oh so. you're very kind thank you sure there you have it patrick fitzgerald wasn't he a sweetheart i just love him and i mean I would want a guy like that to be my doctor in the twilight of my life. It's perfect. Um, I wish that his music career was more, was big enough to sustain him, but I'm also really grateful that he applies his talents to the people who need him most at this time. What a good man. Anyway, he told me, as I mentioned, that the new Stephen Hero album is just about done and it's going to be out this fall. We played a little sample of it in here. I hope you'll check it out. As I said, Look for Kitchens, look for Patrick, look for Oscar's Drum, look for um, uh, Stephen Hero, look for all that stuff on Facebook or whatever, and follow it so you can stay up to date. Um, next week, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to go with, to be honest. I have been hanging out, uh, hanging on to a couple of interviews for a while. One is either with, a, is with another, a member of another shoegazer band, also British, also from the same era that I really love. That make, makes sense to put out next. Or I have a conversation that I had uh, with a music writer, much like that Stephen Thomas Erlewine uh, interview that came out. So I don't know. I'll probably go with the one I've been holding on to the longest, and I don't remember which one it is. Anyway, I wanted to close it out with... We didn't talk as much about The Death of Cool, which is a great album. So I want to close it out with another song off that album. This is Four Men, the number four men. Such a good tune. I love these guys. Um, huge thanks as always to Jan the Man Makevich 
Uh, thank you for everything you do, buddy. You guys know how to find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And we have a bonus, as I mentioned in the midsection, we have a very special bonus episode coming out this week. So I hope you will come back for that as well. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.